we're in Baruch Sha'amar. And um, last time, which is so long ago, I kind of can't remember what we talked about. But we did talk about there being 10 Baruch's, 10 Baruch statements in the first half of Baruch Sha'amar. So you have the Baruch Hu is sort of a response. So it's Baruch Shamar Vahayahulam, and then the Baruch Hu, we don't count in this count. Baruch Osev Rashis, Baruch Omer Vose, Baruch Gozer Makaim, Baruch Marachi Malharts, Baruch Marachi Malhabrios, Baruch Mishalim Sachar Tilwiriav, Baruch Hail Advakayam Lanatsach, Baruch Paldo Matil, Baruch Shemo. Okay. So what we have is ten statements that that themselves point to and also correspond to ten statements with which the world was created. So Baruch Sha'omar Vihayaha Olam, blessed is Hashem who spoke and the world was. And then there are ten of these statements corresponding to the Mishnah and Avos that says, Ba'asara Mamaros Olam. The world was created in ten statements. Okay, so they, they correspond, but they're also directly that's what it's talking about. Okay? It's not just like a somehow in the background of correspondence. Like, that's actually what it's saying, okay, that Hashem created the world in ten statements. So today I wanted to talk about this. There's some other interesting things about this, like when it says, Baruch Sha'amar Vahayaholam, I just, when I heard myself kind of roughly translate it, I realized I, that was misleading. Because what I said is, blessed is Hashem who spoke and created, and the world was. But it doesn't say blessed is Hashem who spoke and the world was. It says blessed that spoke and the world was. Like blessed is the one which is um, not said straight out, the one. Meaning the grammar tells you She'omar means that he spoke. So it means there's someone we're referring to, but we didn't actually say who it is. We said blessed is he who spoke and the world was. Blessed is he. Blessed is the one who did bracious, who like finalized and created that which was first. Blessed is the one who spoke and does, bless, who speaks and does. It's actually all in present tense, except for the first. Blessed is the one who decrees and sustains. Blessed is the one who has mercy on the whole land. Right? And at the end, it says, Baruch Shemo. Blessed is his name, which, um, if not actually being a name, at least indicates there is one. <laughs> right? The first nine, we'd ha we haven't even, like, gone near a name. We've said ten statements of blessing of Hashem without ever going near a name. And then we say, Baruch Ato Hashem. You are Hashem. Yud, hey, vav, and hey. Excuse me. Elokeinu melech Okay. You know what? I'm going to ask you. Uh, forgive me for a minute. Okay. All right. So, to do this, to, to understand, like, what, I don't know, fully understand, but let's get, like, some kind of concept of what is going on here. So, we're talking about ten statements with which the world is created, ten descriptions of Hashem creating the world in these different ways, making voracious, speaking and creating, having mercy, decreeing and sustaining, these different ways. And it's all on this word baruch. 
Now that's also striking because now we're in Pesukei de Zimra. So the fact that we have the word Baruch in the first part of Davening, which is Brachos, that should not be surprising. Why? Because Brachos is dedication of means and resources in this world, uh, recognizing that we receive them, and also dedicating them back upward. So I'm a little bit, I'm going to review like a drop of what we said. It's really probably a few years ago, (laughs) now that I think back, about the word Baruch. But I think I'm going to do a few, a little bit different. So it's the same concept, but it'll be some different points about that. Because we have to understand then what is the word Baruch doing in Pesuke de Zimra. By the way, it doesn't stop here. You get to Kriyashma, and Kriyashma is bracketed by brachos before and afterward. And then you get to Shemona Esrei, which is made up of 18 or 19 brachos. So all those different Torah we said about how bracha is specific to this idea of connecting heaven and earth. You remember we said the letter base, as you might remember. Mm-hmm. Okay, the letter base. I'm, I'm doing it to myself, which is backwards here, the base, right? So what is it made of? It's made of two parallel lines, an upper line and a lower line, two planes that really don't meet. I mean, they can't meet because they're parallel. And then they're connected by some sort of vertical line, which I think last time we talked about this, we talked about that as in terms of a pipeline, right, for bracha, that connects the two worlds, our brachas going up and the bracha from Hashem coming down. Rav Hirsch in Chorev talks about this concept of livarech, okay, and we've, we mentioned also before. So the letter Bez means two. It doesn't just look like two bridged worlds, meaning a two-ness that is, is unified, but it's two. I really like that. Yeah. Sorry, I'm still stuck on it, but go yeah, on. Yeah, it's two. <laughs> okay, it's two as a whole identity. Not, it's not two individuals, because that would be two cases of one. This is a two. It's bridged. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that the other letters of the root... So the resh is 200, and the chaf is 20. So it's all exponential values, meaning it's, oh, every, wow. it's every place within the number system of gematria, because the olive base only takes you up to like 900, basically. right? So the ones, the tens, and the hundreds. And in every case, it's the two version of it. Wait, in every, what's the two? The two. So in the ones, it's the letter base, which is two. For the tens, it's the letter chaf, which is 20. And for the hundreds, it's the letter resh, which is 200. So, the whole so it's, it's the, the whole, like, oh, it's as saying. two as it could get. That's, it doesn't get twoer than that. That's chilly. Right? Uh, this is like the ultimate two-ness is bracha. If you want to know, if you have two and you multiply it, and it's like two and more two and even more two, that would be bracha. And all the letters are like... Yeah, they all do this bridging thing. Okay. Yeah. Wait, ratio is 200, you said? Yeah. And chaf is 20. That is the only one with the lower plane. Right. They all do some kind of connecting. Okay. So what that means then about bracha, mm-hmm. maybe I'll do this a little bit out of order. There's, I'm pretty sure it's a Rabbeinu Bachia, although last time I looked for it, I actually didn't find it, so that was a little frustrating, but I'm, I'm still pretty sure it's a Rabbeinu Bachia. Who says like this. He says, when we daven and we've seen, I mean... Let's go back to the source. Okay, the source of this is the beginning. Yeah, the source of everything is voracious, because bays, voracious. We're going to come to that, too. It's the source of everything. All right. But the source of this topic over here for the moment, which is still base, but we're working backward, I guess. 
All right. Hashem created man. He says, we're going to create man. All the vegetation of the fields was not yet upon the land. And all the grasses of the field had not yet sprouted. Because Hashem had not caused any rain to fall down upon the land. And man was not to work the land. There was no man yet to work the land. The aid yale min ha'aretz, and a mist rose up from the land, the hishka es kol ha'adama, to water and give moisture all over the face of the earth. Vayitzer Hashem elokim es ha'adam afar min ha'adama, and God formed man out of dust of the earth, vayipach ba'apav nishmas ha'ayim, blew into his nostrils a living soul, vayhi ha'adam lenefesh ha'ya, and man became an exceedingly alive person. Okay. And Rashi says, what does it mean that the Torah is telling us all the vegetation had no, was not yet seen on the face of the earth and none of the grass was yet sprouted? The Torah, he says, Tara means not yet, meaning it's going to be, but it didn't happen yet. It's beforehand, but it hasn't been activated. Okay. And then the Torah says, why? Why did Hashem not make it all sprout? Okay, Rashi says, Hashem made everything. He said, let the land give forth, right? Trees and all these things. And then he held it at the, at the surface. Okay, so everything was like starting to grow and then halted. It didn't die because there's this mist that gives it enough water, but it's not enough water for it to really sprout and grow. And then the Torah says, key, because. What's the because? Because there's no man yet. Be- it seems like a non-obvious connection. <laughs> what we require in order for there to be grass is rain. Why is there no rain? Because there is no man. So Rashi says, yeah, that's exactly what the Torah is saying. Hashem, because Hashem did not cause rain on the land, rain on the land because there was no man, is for this. It, that is the reason, because until there is a person who is going to work the earth, to try and make things grow, to harvest something, to eat something, until there's a person who needs something out of the earth. There isn't anyone to recognize how good it is when it rains. Because if you just see rain, it just seems like cold and wet. And I happen to like rain, but really, it's like cold and wet. It makes it inconvenient. And like, you know, Adam didn't have a, a huge wardrobe and an umbrella. And, you know, like, it doesn't seem like a positive. But before the height, they were supposed to have everything just given to them, no? Yeah. So this so. is not about sin. No, but oh, that the, the idea of plan? That, that, that everything is there. So this is even before Hashem put him in Gan Eden. That's like really a, The next verse says, God planted Gan in Eden in the east and placed Adam there. So this is like even before he's in Gan Eden. But he right, does but the he, rain before he's born? I mean, created? It doesn't before. say. But right, we don't... Okay. But the issue of the rain is before. But wasn't Hashem's plan that he wouldn't need, that, that man wouldn't work? 
before everything I know, but the I'm not sure that he would have to sweat, meaning the physical work. I'm not sure it meant he didn't have to do, do anything. It wouldn't be like an angel. Right. I would say that this, this passage here suggests that there's something he needs to do. He needs to, I mean, what he needs to do is Davin. Like to learn. He needs to recognize that there is good in rain, Rashi says. Once man comes along and knows, knows meaning through experience, you know, you can know something up here and then you know something like for real because you've felt it. When he knows that they are necessary for the world, he's palelalehem. He'll daven for the rain. He'll say, Hashem, please send rain. And then the rains will fall and all the trees and grasses will grow. So this is, man is created and there's something that the world needs from him, which is to notice that there is a need and to daven for it. That becomes critical. Okay. So what is so important about that? It's literally the water cycle. Okay, we're told, what is this represented in rain? Because you know what, there's a lot of things man needed. Like he needed the food to come out of the earth too. It doesn't say he'll notice that he needs food and daven for it. It says he notices he needs rain and that the world needs rain and he'll daven for it. So there's something very particular about rain. So what is the rain cycle? I don't know, when I was a kid, you did it in first grade, and again in third grade, teachers keep bringing it in thinking you might not remember about the water cycle. So you have oceans, right? You have, and the water evaporates out of the ocean. And by the way, the, the Gemara talks about this as a machlokas. Where does it start? Like, does it all start in the clouds and come down? And then, that, is that the beginning of the cycles? You know, like, which came first, the chicken or the eggs? Like, which comes first, the rain or the evaporation? Not. Okay, I don't know. It uh, wasn't clear to me exactly how the work came out. I don't know. Okay, fine. The water evaporates, goes up into clouds, it condenses, and rains back down. And it can rain back down straight into the ocean. It can rain back down into the earth. It can go down through the earth and into the water table. Okay, so it run down through streams or rivers and end up back in the ocean and evaporate again. And it goes around and around. That's what davening is. That's what a bracha is. So now you have your base, right? Because it's just such a perfect visual. You have an upper air plane and you have a lower plane and they're connected. When we notice there's a need below and we recognize where that need will be filled from, where's it gonna be filled from? Not from down here. It's gonna be filled from up there, from Shemayim. Then we are connecting. Remember we talked about brachos as connecting heaven and earth. We connect these two planes by sending our bracha up that channel. Okay. And where do things come from? They come from up down. So when we see that Hashem has blessed us and we thank him for it, that's also bracha. That explains, by the way, why bracha is such a vague kind of word. Because people will say, I'm going to say a bracha, right? And people can say, I want Hashem to give me a bracha. Like, I can give him a bracha or he can give me a bracha. Well, which way is it? Right? But it's because the word baruch goes both ways. It's two. It works both ways. It works whether I'm noticing what Hashem has given me and thanking Him for it, or noticing I have a need and asking Him for it. 
It's the same thing. The only difference is whether the need has been granted in the past or the future. <laughs> but that doesn't matter from God's point of view anyway. Okay, so, okay, but Rabbeinu Bachia, I'm pretty sure, I have to like qualify that just because like I couldn't find the source again this week, says something more. He says, the Torah is telling us that the bracha cycle is the rain cycle, meaning the brachos we say and send up, they themselves condense and are showered back upon us as blessing. Yeah? Wait, say that again? Not that there's two different... Say it one more time. It's not that there's two different things. One kind of thing is going up, that's my words, and one kind of thing is coming down, like presence, using the same channel. It's that, he's saying, no, it's the same thing, the same way it's water. It condenses and goes up, it condenses and comes down. Why is it a bracha that we're saying? Isn't it a bakasha? So a bracha, like, yeah, that's a good question. Like when, specifically when it's re- asking for a need, it would typically right. be called a bakasha. And yet, it takes the form of a bracha. So shmona esrei, which is not about the physical world really at all. We're not up to that. But like the bracha section was like about looking at what's in the world. Thank God, like I can see, I have shoes, I have clothes, right? Here's a food, I'm gonna eat it, I'll say a bracha on it. It's about that which is tangibly here, the means and resources Hashem has given us, thanking Him for them and also dedicating them back to Him. This is all that same, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, like Shmona Esrei is not brachos, right. and yet the, I think we called it the armature, right? So you have like, kind of like a wireframe and then everything can be slapped onto that to give it its shape. What gives shape to our davening is always comes back down to brachos. Rav Pincus describes it as like a base that if, if you imagine we have like our four worlds and we have our table. So brachos is like the base. It's not just the section of davening called brachos. The structure of a bracha is the base. It's the foundation. And it's kind of like handles. So even if you have something really big, when you have that part at the bottom with the handles, that's how you move it all. That's how you activate it. The bracha is not, you know, it connects, it connects this world with the upper world, and it can do it directly, like you're saying a bracha, and it can also bring that power to whatever's layered over it. So you add a psuke de zimra zone over it, and you add a kriyashma zone over it, you add a shmona esrei, it still gets activated by this bracha. It will just drill right through and take everything with it. Okay, we'll talk about this a little more. But this, this idea of the bracha is actually, it's the fundamental building block of davni, is a bracha. That structure, baruch atah Hashem, usually elokeinu melech because without that it's not typically a bracha, although there's one glaring exception. You can have fun hunting for it. <laughs> you don't have to hunt very far. You just have to notice it, and then it'll drive you crazy. Okay. <laughs> I'll just leave that with you for a fun mystery. All right. Reversion Chorev. What? Bonus for extra credit. It will be extra credit. Because you know what? As soon as you notice something in davening, your davening gets changed. Wait, Whether you know the answer or not, the more it bugs you, the better it'll come. No, I'm not telling. I said, uh, the, uh, okay, the Gemara says that any bracha that doesn't have shame umalchus, shame means it has to say baruch ta Hashem. Right. Okay, and Elokinu Melech Haolam, that Hashem is the Melech. A bracha has to have shame and malchus to be a bracha. It doesn't have shame and malchus, it's not a bracha. Okay, there's one exception, and it's a glaring exception, so you can have fun noticing it. 
All right, Baruch means to bless, says Rav Hirsch in Chorev. It means actually to bring blessing to some being or wish him a blessing in words, thus furthering the circumstances of another person or expressing the wish that they be furthered. Okay, so I could give someone a bracha if I actually do something that advances their benefit or if I express that I want them to have something that even if I myself don't have the power to give it to them, expressing it, may Hashem give you. Okay. One of the things Rav Hirsch is addressing, and that I know we've talked about because I never hesitate to grab any opportunity to quote that passage about Baruch in the Rav Hirsch Haggadah, is the question of how do you translate Baruch Hashem? Let's say into English, because I don't speak German. All right. So what you usually hear is, blessed are you, Hashem, or God is the source of all blessing, meaning bless me, Hashem. And our verse says that, that many people translate it as bless me, meaning even though we're a cousin, blessed art thou, or right? But you're left with a question either way, because if you're saying it means Hashem, please bless me, well, let me just start the other way. If I say Hashem, you're blessed, I'm blessing you, like, who do I think I am? <laughs> what do you mean I'm blessing you? Right? I'm not the source of blessing. Hashem is the source of blessing. But if I say, Hashem, please bless me, so then was God my vending machine? Like, you know, you knock on it or put your coin in and say, give me. Right? That doesn't seem like the basis for your entire day and your entire life, because that's what brachas do. They are the foundational piece that lets us activate all of our davening, but it's not just during davening. All day, every time I eat something, I say bracha. Before I eat it, after I eat it. Every time I drink something, before I drink it, after I drink it. Before I learn Torah, I say bracha before I learn Torah. Okay? Before I put on, you know, if I'm wearing tzitzis, before I put on the tzitzis, I'm going to say bracha. Before I hang up a mezuzah, I'm going to say bracha. So my day is like punctuated. It's like carried along in little leaps. From bracha to bracha to bracha, as I skip along, you know, across this river of the day, these are like the stones that like keep me going, are these brachos. So it's not even, this is a only in davening, it's not such an only, but, right, like, do I really spend all day saying, gimme, 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 gimme? That's also weird. Okay. So since the word baruch is made of all these twos, one of the fundamental meanings of bracha is multiplication, more so. Okay, because one is only. Two is the beginning of multiplying, of saying there's more. So, um, many places in Torah, it will use, I'm trying to think of an example of it, like, um, I can't, off the top of my head, I can't think of it, but there are many, 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 many places, there's like thousands of them probably in Devarim, where the word Hashem will bless you, like Yivarachacha, what it means is Hashem will multiply you, either in like money or in children. Because like, that's what bracha is. Bracha is multiplication. Okay, so remember this idea that like what we send up comes down, and the word baruch is not just two. It's two, twenty, two hundred. It itself is a multiplying, multiplying, multiplying feature. Okay? A bachor is the same letters, right? The bachor is the firstborn son. But what it means is now you've gone another generation. The family has multiplied. The generations have multiplied. The, the father, so to speak, has multiplied. Now there's not just him. He now continues on. Okay? 
So the bechor could be to a mother also, by the way, right? So like if a woman has her firstborn child, even if her husband has other kids, it's still a bechor. You still do, right? So has to do a pigeon event. Two things. <laughs> um, Bahar also has the twos all in it. Yeah, letters. it's the same letters. Yeah, like, exactly. And my so little it's... grandson, he's two years old. Every time you give him a cookie, he's like two, two, two. <laughs> it's very deep. <laughs> <laughs> but but that's a fundamental process. <laughs> oh, but that's but that's a stage in development, right? Because there's this time where the kids can recognize certain numbers early on. But the first piece of that is recognizing the difference between one and more than one. Right. And that's two. <laughs> that, that's really what right. it means, right? Like, it so kind of means It means more, yes. more than one, not just one is what it means. I want Keep more than going. one. And that, that is what two means. Right. Meaning in Torah, that's what two means. It means multiplying. So this idea that he said that saying a bracha means to bring blessing to some being, and then he says, or... Wish him a blessing, furthering the circumstances of another person. And he's saying he should have more, or he should get further. He should do more. Okay, this is both in relationship, this, this it is in the relationship of Hashem to creatures and people to people. So I could give a person a bracha, then I'm saying, may Hashem bless you with good health. And I can give Hashem a bracha, I wouldn't say, like that's... <laughs> and yet, both of them are called giving a bracha. Okay, so if if I give someone else a bracha, what I'm expressing is that I want them to have more, or that what they care about should make progress. Right? That's what it means to further their circumstances. So if I say it to Hashem. It should mean that too. That's what Rav is saying. So what what does that come out to be? If I say to Hashem, <laughs> may may your work or may your projects or that which you care about, your circumstances should be furthered or improved. I want good for you. That's what it means. If I say Baruch Ato Hashem, I'm saying Hashem, I want things to be better for you. That is not, bless me. It doesn't contradict it, by the way, but let's see how far we get, <laughs> okay? But it does mean that I'm, what, who I'm thinking about here is Hashem, not me. It's me in relationship to him. It's two, okay? There's two of us here. But it's, it's not my interests I'm looking at when I say Baruch Hashem. It's Hashem's. To for, so from man to God, if that's the bracha that's being expressed, that's to further by deed. Now, why by deed? Because brachos is, sits in the physical world. That's that basis at the bottom, right? Six. In the physical world. The word baruch, if we look at our four-row tables, right? Okay, we're talking about the actual physical world of body and deed, Okay. It means to further by deed the purpose set for God for free development. Meaning Hashem has a purpose for this world and a goal. When I say Baruch to Hashem, I am committing myself or I am about to take an action or I am about to use something or do something that will further Hashem's purpose in the world. 
that's a, a very sophisticated way of saying what we kind of summarized all along, which is the dedication of means and resources to Hashem. Okay, so if I say a bracha over food, I'm not... The way Rav Hirsch translated is not thank you so much for the food. It's may your will in this world be furthered through my eating of this food. Oh my gosh, I love it. I'm going to ask you to repeat it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a yeah, good thing it's being time. recorded. <laughs> May your will. May yeah. your will be furthered or implemented. The way Rav Hirsch translates Baruch Hashem ultimately is may your will be implemented through me. Isn't that a better way to teach it? Way better. It's awesome. Yeah, it, it, but it's, like, it's, it's profound. I don't know. If you're at a certain age, it's difficult to think in terms of what a merit it is to be the one. You know, God has many messengers. He's got a whole world full. And he can even create more stuff if he needs it, more people, more whatever, right? Okay. So it's, I learned this from Rabbi Goldberg. It's, it can be a mistake to think, oh, if I don't do this, it won't happen. Because really? If God wants it to happen, right, right. he'll figure it out. He's very creative. At least 10 aspects full of creation, okay? There's a lot of creativity there and unlimited resources and power to make it happen. So really, I do not have the ability to thwart God's will. I don't have that much power, okay? But it's a blessing. I don't know, like, who's blessed over here, right? If I could be the one who performs his will, that's awesome. That's an awesome thing, to be, a, to be the tool of God in giving. You know, if you ever had that experience, I, I've used this example before of, of being the one who says something to somebody that's just what they needed to hear in their time of need, right? Or even sometimes something little, like you, you brought somebody something, or you called them up to see how they were doing, and they said, you have no idea how much I needed that, right? That's a, that's a zechus. That's, may your will be implemented through me. Could God have sent someone else? 100%, right? But, like, the, the ultimate prayer that we have really is that our deeds and actions should merit to be the furthering of Hashem's purpose in the world. It's a big merit. He goes on, Rav Hirsch, in the Haggadah, he goes on to talk about how, you know, it's like, and now I'm going to like bring this back into my own language. If I use a spoon, okay, this halachically, okay, in the halacha on Shabbos, in order to, if you want to separate two things, I don't know, blueberries, strawberries, whatever it is, that they're kind of a different size. I don't know how much sorting that is, but something's going to be a borer issue, a separating out issue on Shabbos, right? So if it's miyad, meaning you need it to use now, like you're eating it now, and it's biyad, and you do it by hand, with your hands, and like not a strainer or a sifter, and it's ohomipsolas, you're taking what you want out of and leaving behind what you don't want, not the other way around. So you're picking out the almonds and you're leaving the cashews. Okay, that's permitted on Shabbos, as long as you're eating them now. It's not for later. Okay, biyad means you have to do it with your hand. So if you don't really want to put your whole hand in, you know, like, or it's a little goopy, or everyone, it's a serving dish, you're sharing. If you use a spoon, that's still called biyad. Why? It's an extension of your hand. It's a tool. Who's a, it's, not the, it's not the spoon doing it. It's your hand doing it. That's biyad, okay? If I am, if I am acting, and it's not... I'm Hashem's tool to do this mitzvah, okay? It's not my food that's giving the energy. Mm. <clears throat> I don't have the energy to do this. Hashem's energy. I'm the spoon. Mm -hmm. 
So whose energy am I relying on? Not mine. I mean, spoon doesn't have, it's not using its energy, right? It's the person who's wielding the hand. When I become Hashem's tool for something, when I say, whatever you have sent me, this is just the means and resources you gave me to do your job, right? So if I need more, there's, it's not, I'm not saying give me, give me, give me. If I, if I think I need more, there's nothing wrong with asking for it. It's the same thing, like now I'm working in the school, okay? Last year I didn't work at the school. I taught a shear. I didn't work for the school, okay? So I would be very silly, like I would, I would, it would be really dumb if I went into Rabbi Goldberg's office and said, you know, I need, um, I really need you to buy me some svarn or, I don't know, a desk or a chair or something. Like, be like, I don't know, buy your own desk and chair. <laughs> like, what's your, <laughs> but now if I need something to do the job for the school, there's nothing selfish about saying, could you please buy me some more paper for the copy machine? That's a great example. Right, because it's not my job I'm asking for. I'm a, now, if he says, I'm sorry, we have used up our whole budget on paper and notebooks, so you'll have to come up with another, so fine, I'll have to come up with some other solution, do my best to do the job as best as I can. But more likely, it's just most of the time, you're going to hear, oh, yeah, sure, I want you to be able to do the job. Like, what's the point of hiring you to do a job and not giving you the tools to do it? That's one of the principles of figuring out personal mission, is to say, what tools has God given me? What, what have I been given? Because probably he gave me a toolkit. He handed me a toolbox and said, go do the job. And if I'm not clear what the job is, the first thing is look at what the tools are in the toolbox. Because if it's a computer, that's not the same as if it was a hammer and a chisel. So like, I could learn something about what I'm meant to do by the tools I was given. If I'm missing tools, and I'm pretty sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, then I ask him. I, you ask. And who do you ask? You ask the boss. You ask the person who's got the, who's in charge of the, you know, the supply room and wants the job to get done. Okay, so then I never worry, Refers says, I never feel worried that I'm not strong enough or don't have enough energy to do the job. I think we all know that feeling, right? I can't do this. When you feel like, I can't do this. <clears throat> so, I mean, it could be you're doing the wrong job, but most of the time, it's because you're right, you can't. You don't have enough energy to do it. But that is not a problem. Because it wasn't you who was supposed to be providing all the energy any more than Sarah Lippman is supposed to be paying all the electric bills for the school. Like, that would be silly, right? And not only that, but I can feel perfectly free to turn the lights on when I'm in the room. I should turn them off when I go out. That would be courteous, right? Because, like, it's respectful, <laughs> right? But. I'm, it's not me who's so expected to bring to all the energy. energy. It's fine. We're if you don't feel energy, this is my <laughs> personal lesson, okay? Rav Hirsch says a person never has to worry about not having the strength or energy to do the job because it is Hashem's energy that will animate him. God's spirit animates him. That's his words. If we feel we don't have the energy. Then my experience not. has been, and based on Hadracha I've been given directly and also my learning. My experience has been if I feel that I don't have the energy. Look, sometimes what you have to do is say, I'm sorry, I need to, I need to pause. You know, like I can't take that on right now. Sometimes, you know, you feel you don't have energy. That's a God, don't take it on. God didn't give you that tool for now, right? But sometimes you're in the middle of saying, you have to do this. You know, when you have to get up, whatever, if you have a newborn and they wake up again and again and again, it's not, I'm sorry, baby. Like I see Hashem just didn't, 
right? It's like, no, I'm going to, right? So I just don't have energy, right? Or it's like Shabbos and then Yontif and then Shabbos and then Yontif and then Shabbos. So maybe like it, you should use paper goods, I don't know. But like, right, at some point we say, you know, or some, sometimes somebody has like a need, like all of a sudden somebody's like really deathly ill. And it's no more about like how much sleep are you going to get and did you have time for your exercise routine and eating properly, and, right? So do I have energy for that? It's okay. It's not my energy anyway. So that feeling, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this. I don't have the energy or I don't have the ability or something like that for something where it's been thrown on me anyway, then it seems to me that it is a reminder that that's true. You don't have energy. But that's okay because Hashem has everything required. That's like... Okay, here's my phrasing for it, and I've learned this through some hard experience. When I feel overwhelmed, the, sorry, the purpose of feeling overwhelmed, it took me a while to craft it so that it works for me, the purpose of feeling overwhelmed is to remind me that I have no power, but Hashem has it all under control. There's not, I can't give you a source for it other than me. And you know my own Shilas and my own learning, but it seems to me that it has been super duper life-changingly helpful. The purpose of feeling overwhelmed, and you can replace the word overwhelmed with whatever your inner voice says. Mine is, I'm so overwhelmed. Some people, it's, I'm so freaked out, I'm so tired, I'm so whatever. The purpose of feeling overwhelmed is to remind me that I have no power, but Hashem has it all under control which, by the way, is extremely calming because there's a purpose to feeling overwhelmed. The fact that I felt overwhelmed is not a failure. It's a reminder of a reality. But once I remember the first part, the, the problem I get into with feeling overwhelmed is, right, I'm going to fail, mm -hmm. right? Why? Because I think I am responsible for success. So as, if I can just remember the statement, right, wait a minute, Who's the one who, like, I'm the spoon. I'm the hammer, okay? I'm the paintbrush. I'm the paintbrush. That's a better, that's a much more classy example. Can't say it occurred to me. That's what I thought of. Okay, right? So, so does the paintbrush worry about it? I mean, it doesn't because it doesn't worry, but, right? Like, it's a, it's a better example because of its impact. Sometimes when I'm painting, I just feel like, I'm not doing it, like it's kind of like, because yeah. I have to teach what I'm, sometimes I'm painting, I'm thinking how would I teach this, and I'm like, I don't really know because my hand is just going, <laughs> isn't it weird? Because <laughs> ultimately it's not our own energy. What did you say? Right, even our, our hand is an extension of ourself, the brush is the extension of the hand, but we become an extension of God's hand. Right. And then it's, it's difficult to say where one starts and one ends. That's, that's a privilege, that's called getting closer to God. Okay, so from man to God, we didn't get quite as far as I hoped, but it's nonetheless the worthwhile it review. Really no, no, it's important <laughs> stuff, and it's been, it's, yeah. it's just I try not to usually repeat a sheer, but it's been a really long time. No, this is okay. well done. No, you can I repeat know. it every <laughs> I know. I carry a scan, not of this passage, but the one from the Haggadah, because I need to look at it a lot. It is, it, you know, when Refersh says that the bracha is the foundational thought of life, he's not just 
He never exaggerates. He's not saying it for impact because it sounds good. It's not an oratorical tool. It's just the literal truth. Okay. So, from man to God, blessing, baruch, means to further by deed the purpose set by God for free development. Free development meaning that people are free to choose what they're going to do. But Hashem has a purpose, which is the world choosing good, which is the good that he wishes, namely to fulfill his will or to declare to him the furtherance in word, namely to resolve to fulfill his will. So if I make a bracha over taking challah out of my dough, what I'm doing is I'm speaking out loud the resolve to take the action that I'm about to take and to connect that action to doing Hashem's will, that it's, it's not just something I'm doing for myself. Okay? Accordingly, whenever you say to God, Baruch Atah Hashem, whenever you say it, so you get lots of chances to practice this one, you subject all the powers of your being to the fulfillment of the divine will, to the divine service of the deed. Okay, that's one piece. Here's an associated one. With regard to Psuke de Zimra, so now, this is the first time he's saying, like, you know, if you treat brachos as, like, sort of part of your waking up, you're not in shul yet, you didn't open your siddur to daven. For us, I don't know about you. For me, I usually have opened my siddur to daven. That's when I got to brachos. But, okay, in, like, a sort of routine kind of way. He says, we're about to pronounce the word baruch. And by the word, by the way, it's baruch ten times. Thirteen altogether, if you count all the times the word baruch is here. You're about to pronounce the word baruch which contains the decisive thought for life. This is it. What, what is the decisive thought for life? That the all-holy God also looks upon human life. It's Baruch Atah Hashem. Atah meaning you are right there facing me. <laughs> You're right in front of me. You're looking at me. When I'm taking an action, that has relevance to God. When I speak words, he is listening to the words. When you say... Baruch, that word tells you that the all-holy God also looks upon human life. He's not just like up there dealing with the big stuff. I mean, we are the big stuff. Like, but everything, nothing is too small for him. That human thought, feeling, word and deed are not matters of indifference to him, but are to be employed as servants in the fulfillment of his will. Meaning if I say that I'm declaring that my action is to fulfill his will, that means that my feelings and my thoughts and my words and my actions matter. They make some kind of difference. In other words, he notices and he does, it care, he cares. It's not a matter of indifference. It matters. That is the decisive thought of life. And that is why every day is bracketed by it and then carried right through the day with brachos because the word baruch is when you boil it right down, if you need one thought for focusing yourself all day, it's baruch. You thus bring thoughts to your soul, which oppose the foolish idea that the all-holy God is too exalted to care for human activity. This is, I mean, everything, it's not even, you could go forever on this as the decisive thought for life. People struggle, you know, how do you build self-esteem? I was right? trying to say this is so good for self-esteem. This is self-esteem, <laughs> right? right? Self-esteem is not telling someone every minute, you're the most wonderful, you're the most wonderful. It's saying what you do matters, right? You have the power to do things that make a difference. 
because what you think and do and say matters. That's, you know, I had somebody in a share once, had somebody in a share once who was very disturbed. She said, it was the Parsha of Moshe Rabbeinu and the rock. And she says, why, why, why does the Torah, if Moshe Rabbeinu lived 120 years, and every day of those years, he was perfect. Okay, I don't know if that's exactly true or not when he was young. I, I don't know. Like, that isn't typical for a human being. But let's say, okay, every day was exactly perfect and ultimate. Could be. Moshe wasn't your ordinary human being, right? She said, so why should the Torah tell us about this one thing? And why should we be punished for it? One slip up, right? So I said, if we said that didn't matter, then all the 119 years and 353 days of perfection don't matter. You're, you're detracting. When you say that it matters, that you do something wrong, we don't say, oh, no, it doesn't matter. Right? We don't say, you're not allowed to say, oh, Hashem's mavater. Hashem doesn't care. He doesn't care if he did something wrong. He doesn't care. You're not allowed to say that. He does care. It matters. That's a source of self-esteem. That's not a source of depression. That's a source of self-esteem. Because it means that when you do it right, it really matters. The Torah is full of all the slip-ups. Right? It's full of all of it. It doesn't take away, right? It do, that's the, the underlying, right? Now, we know that we also, there's a miracle of tshuva. So also if a person, if, if what you do wrong becomes the basis for repairing it, then once you've done the tshuva and you've changed the inner process that went into that sit in the first place, you're actually closer to Hashem than you were before you did the sin because now you, your rut zone is more perfected and better aligned with Hashem's will. So when that's the case, now the, the, what was the chait, what was the sin, is now part of the solution. Used to be a problem, now it's part of the solution. So even your sins can become mitzvos. Okay? I would never say that one on my own. I already told you, the thing that was my own, that's my own. Okay. <laughs> that's a gemara. When a person does tshuva, the zavaris can become mitzvos. Okay, so we're going to stop there, because... I think even though it's Pesukei Zimra, it's clearly pushing us to the word Baruch, so we can't just ignore it. It, was, uh, I, it occurred to me to just say, we already learned about Baruch, let's go on. But, like, you can't. Like, it's the whole thing is Baruch, even though it's Pesukei Zimra, okay? At Amir Tzashem next week, we'll talk a little bit more about this idea of bracha and creation, okay? Which is also this concept over here. It's a good time. So Actually, it's a good time, because Bracious, I was so excited to tell you a Bracious Dvar Torah, but you'll have to get it in. <laughs> I mean, it's Noah already, so we'll get in Lach Lecha. It's yeah. already, so 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 that's okay, it's good. All it's all very good. You see, rain is at Sarach Olam. It's fantastic. Okay, it's good to be back. It's good to see you guys. I didn't even say hello. They consider themselves messengers, you know, like they... You say like Chabad Shluchim? Shluchim, yeah. I think in Chabad, traditionally, I think, and I'm not an expert, I think they are the Rebbe's Shluchim, uh-huh. right? Which presumably should mean that they're God's Shluchim. But I think they call themselves the Rebbe Shluchim. Uh, Bye. Really? Welcome back. But they're doing Hashem's well, work. I guess though. he's an extension of Hashem, and they're an extension of him. Right? I'm saying we're all extensions of God. He's an extension of Hashem, and they're an extension of Him. I mean, like. We're all extensions of God. How does one know, though, that they're doing, like, that's a mission? Uh, I'm supposed to worry about someone else's mission? No, it's good to see you. Welcome back. How does one know, like, oneself, if you're doing mission? They think they're doing the will of Hashem. Maybe they are.
That's what I'm saying. So how does one know? Like, who's to say that what they're doing or how they're doing it or? That's not my I'm job. Just, I'm just saying. Thank you know, God. Who's to know? Like, Thank God. He takes care of the judging. <laughs> Yet another thing that I'm free from doing. <laughs> One of them is worrying about the energy, and the other is having to judge people. And I just have to remind myself that when I do judge people, that I really don't have to. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Just the wrong becomes the basis for chuba, and the sin now becomes part of the solution. Would you say yeah. that that's correct? Yeah. Okay. What was the problem now becomes part of the solution. Is that why they say when you're, you, let's say, a Baal's chuba, like all the things that even if they say you were Tinoch Shanishpa, like you didn't know, but at the same time, all those things that were part of your choices, experience, etc., brought you to the place of Yeah, it's, I mean, awareness. that's based on the fact that chuva, a Baal chuva, like in the Gemara, right? Right? That's not talking about people who weren't raised religious. Right, it's right. talking about people who right. messed Fallen. up. Right, right. <laughs> I had the, I, talking I had about all of fortune, us. <laughs> unfortunately, I had the good fortune of coming into very close contact with a woman who was raised very, very like Hasidish, very from in Williamsburg, and somehow got off the dera, married somebody completely. You know, a different culture even. Like. Let me tell you something. If we say, you know, I dropped this piece of meat out of the wok and it landed on the stovetop, and I'm not sure if it's kosher because the stovetop is hot and the meat was hot and I have only a flechik and milchik on one stove. <coughs> okay, if you don't have two separate stoves, right? <coughs> I should really ask Shaila. I'm sure it's fine. And I throw it back in. I'm not telling you what the halacha is. Beats me. Okay, I don't know. I'm not a rabbi. Okay. It's also talking about that. Uh-huh. Okay, I don't... I, I'm literally not talking about Bali Chuva, like someone who, who turned their whole life one way or another. Okay? You're a Chuva if you sin and fix it. And fix it comes down to action and is rooted in your will. That's, I mean, and it extends. Your will is all the way up here, your action is all the way down here, and it passes through the worlds of your intellect and your emotional state to get there. I mean, it's all four worlds, Chuva. It reaches from the action all the way into the roots in heaven. Chuva? That's a different. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, the four worlds, I'm sorry. <laughs> Would you mind? The four worlds, yeah. So the bottom one is called Asiya, which is like action, and things are activated. Okay. The one above that is Yitzira, formation which is associated with your emotional state. It's, there's a lot of correlations, meaning the world itself has its four levels, the inner person has their four levels. It, they all, you know, it's a, too big to put. Even when I do tables, you always get all these columns, right? Corresponds to the zones of the base of Mikdash, right? All those tables that I do, that's what they are. Okay, the one above that is Bria. Bria, creation, right? So it's something coming from God's will into some kind of... Uh, potential to actually have it become like the physical in the Torah when it says Bria it means God creating something from nothing usually I mean it wasn't there and now it is there okay that's something a person can't do and so on top of that is called Atsilus into creation like into the created world that's what Vayomer the, the speaking is God taking it from so to speak thought to 
something tangible or physical, right? When a person speaks, that's, that's the model for it. It's a mashal, right? The Torah uses words that we can connect to and understand, and the one above that is atzilus, atzilut. Atzilus, which means nearness. I have a question. What's nearness? It's, it's like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe near, near to yeah, yeah, it's associated with the expression of God's will, with the Kisei HaKavod. It's two different opinions of the, I don't know, Kisei HaKavod, let's so say. So you're saying that when you do tshuva... When you do tshuva, so you're dealing with your will, so that reaches into your level where you connect to Atzilus, right? That's will. It's also all the way at the peak of the supernatural. Okay, and it, and it extends down through all the levels. Like there's four levels of doing tshuva, right? You have, there's the regret, that's a feeling. That's in the world of yitzira, that's your emotional state. There's speaking it out, that's in the world of bria. That's speaking, creating, taking it from just a thought, right? There's changing your will, that's up in the level of atzilus, and changing your actions because of your will being different, that's asiya. You're working on yourself in all your levels, and you're affecting the world in all your levels. So if your sin triggered that, I, we did a shear on this. There's a table for oh, it even, there? right? There was a Rav Tzadok table where he talks about sin, right? Sin and anxiety and suffering. I don't remember this. I, I wonder if I missed it. Either. I don't remember when we did it, but I'm I did really do it. Curious. I did do it sometime in the last what year. In this I wonder room. if I can look it up on your... Uh... It should be there, yeah. I think if you, you know, you can... I tag things, so probably if you if you search for Tzadok, T-Z-A-D-O-K, in the search bar, it will probably come up. Okay, so then the sin, he says, he says there's a concept which we hear about, right? That when you do a mitzvah, they tell you in preschool, when you do a mitzvah and you create a malach, Okay, he says, well, when you do a chet, you also create a malach. You know about that because when, if you say kaparos, there's that introductory paragraph. If there's even one white malach in, in a thousand black ones, or something like that, right? Then that should be a good case for me. Okay, so, but a malach, so you create a, let's put in quotes, a bad malach of the sin. But what's a malach? A malach is an emissary of divine force. That's what a malach is. So a malach is always trying to serve Hashem. So if you create a malach out of hate, but that malach is trying to serve Hashem. So what it does is it keeps acting on you to try and get you to fix it. Really? The hate itself is, this, yeah, so you may feel that as anxiety or fear that may not be related to anything, right? Because anxiety or fear it's not necessarily connected to whether something's actually happening, right? That's, it's really a separate... People could suffer more from worrying about something than from even when it happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. okay, let alone, it doesn't always happen. Okay, so anxiety and fear is the emotional mm. action of hate on a person. Mm. Okay, and then there's also the action of the deed, and then there's Yusurim. There's the creation of suffering that a person might have, like things that are... It could be minor suffering, right? Like... Talking, you know, you put your hand in your pocket, you pull out the wrong coin, right? You're reaching for a quarter, you pull out a Sacagawea dollar, okay? <laughs> Whatever it is, you pull out the wrong thing. So that's also called Yisar, right? So there's always, like, different, all these things work, but if you can change it at the root level, hi, you need the room? I, I just to that, okay? Perfect. I'm just to Thank you. Okay, so if you change it at the root level of your will, 
it's as if you flip the whole string around, so now everything just cascades around with it, and now it's changed. Okay, and the Malach is happy, <laughs> you're happy, God's happy. Okay, so even, I mean, that's a very vivid way of expressing the same idea, which is the sin itself can become the source of the correction. Saying, when that happens, your sin becomes a mitzvah. Mm -hmm. Okay, that doesn't mean it's good to do chet. No. But being human, it's inevitable. So taking the fact that it's inevitable, what are we going to do about it? And what we have to do is not be afraid of the fact that we did mess up. Mm -hmm. We have to be, I mean, when you change your will that you don't want to mess up, you get very upset that you did. It's very disturbing. Why? Because what we do really does matter. And it shows that there was something wrong in my will. There was something wrong in my midos. There, there's nothing wrong, okay? And I should have fixed it, and I didn't. But that doesn't cause me to despair. That points me to my next job. I better get with it and fix it. Okay? Yeah, you want to say something? Sorry. It's a different question, but it has to do with the idea of the creation aspect. Okay. And you were talking about... Um, this whole, I don't know, I get, I, I, I always wonder, like, so in the whole idea of creation, I'm just wondering what you're I can already tell I'm not going to know, yeah. I'm interested in the question. The dinosaur thing, the day uh -huh. of the earth thing, you know, how they, like, black it out of a book. The same, of, well, that's, that's it's an it, approach. <laughs> is, it, is it a fear thing, like they're afraid to address it? Or I they think so. People don't necessarily have the tools to address it, but also you have to think, it, like, do really you, how much do you want to raise a child on misinformation? Okay, so that's also a little but tricky, but it's not we threatening. Don't we don't know. It's not threatening. You know, Rabbi Riviat points out, and, it, and it's clear. I mean, you don't... Okay. I'm just wondering. On the first day of creation, right, Yom Echad, God created light, and then he created dark. And they said, this is going to be day, this is going to be night. And that's called a day, a Yom Echad. Okay. On the next day, he created the the waters, and you start separating them. And the third day, you have the finishing of the separation, you have plants. And on the fourth day, you created the sun and the moon and the stars. So how do we define a day? Right. It's a rotation of the earth relative to the sun. But there wasn't a sun. So how long was a day? I don't know. Exactly. I don't know. Just uh, how... Well, we, you know, when we start counting time, we say Rosh Hashanah. That's one, okay? That's the day Adam was created. Right. When it's people come, we start before. counting time. Right. How long was there before between that. the creation of the animals on day six and Adam on day six later on? Yeah. I don't know. Right. In our clock, I don't know. Right. Right. So am I threatened by somebody's theories about it? No. Is it a it's only a theory. How much do I teach my kids? TorahAnyTime.com. I'm saying, kind of what I'm saying is, this, this is, anytime, the website. Oh, anytime.com, Rabbi Schwab. Rabbi Schwab, I can't remember his first name. There's um, a few of them. Shimon They're all related. Schwab? Probably not. There's not so many recordings of him. Rav Shimon Schwab? No, could be his brother. There's Rav Mordechai Schwab. There's his sons. There's nephews. I was just listening to it. Okay. I'm just, I'm just I just want to let her into the room. Yeah, of course. That's why, so there are people who are threatened, but there's not a, there's, it's, it's from ignorance and also knowing I'm ignorant about this. Okay. 
<laughs> right? But, but there's something to be said for saying, how much do I really want to fill my kid's whole room with dinosaurs? No. You know what no, I'm saying? But I'm like, just saying, like, you know how they would black out, like, yeah, pictures. Whatever. It's an approach. Or, it can backfire. Or they ban people's books. Mm -hmm. or they, and I'm just wondering, like, the, the, the response just seems sometimes.